Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, and welcome back to the History of Egypt podcast. Episode 81, The Book of the Dead. Today, we pause our historical narrative in order to take a look at one of the most important religious texts the Egyptians ever invented. It is the legendary guide to the underworld, the book of spells which helped a soul move from here to eternity. Today's episode is brought to you by Jep Laugerson, H. Montgomery, and Mitchell Heikiar. Thank you folks for your support. May the gods smile upon you. To all of my listeners, please enjoy the show. Before we begin, let me set some context. At the moment, our historical narrative sits around 1425 BCE. Egypt lives under the rule of the Horus Akkeperure Amunhotep II. For the past 19 years, Amunhotep has led the kingdom in war and peace. He is an effective king. He is a strong king. Today, we are not concerned with Amunhotep. Instead, we are looking at an object, a scroll of papyrus which belonged to one of the king's servants. This scroll is important, and it is sacred. It is one of the best preserved copies of the Egyptian Book of the Dead. This scroll, this book, belonged to a man named Ka. Ka, or appearing in splendor, was a fortunate man. He was one of the pharaoh's official architects. More importantly, Ka was a tomb builder. He used mathematics, geometry, and religious doctrine to shape and design the sacred chambers of Egypt's highest officials. He was even responsible for the tomb of the king. Ka, the architect, designed the holy sepulchre of the pharaoh in the Valley of the Kings. This is a beautiful structure, and I will cover it in the next narrative episode. Today, we keep our eyes on Ka, because he gave us the material on which we base this episode. Ka was a wealthy and respectable man. When it came to preparing his own tomb, the architect spared no expense. He filled his burial chamber with jewellery, food, furniture, clothing, ushabtis, and ornaments. One of these ornaments, of course, was a beautiful golden coffin. Inside of Ka's coffin, archaeologists found his mummy. Nestled next to the mummy was a roll of papyrus. This papyrus was huge. When unrolled, it measured 13.8 metres, over 45 feet long. On the rough surface, 200 columns of hieroglyphs, divided into 33 chapters, detailed Ka's wonderful funerary text, The Book of the Dead. The Book of the Dead needs no introduction. It is probably the most famous text from ancient Egypt. But it is also victim of a lot of misconceptions. 
Chief among these are Hollywood's enduring obsession with the book as some kind of evil or occult document, used to resurrect mummies, to bring evil gods into the earthly realm. But that's pretty far from the book's real use. It's easy to see why Hollywood does this, for dramatic purposes, which are their bread and butter, but still, we do have a few misconceptions to clear up. To begin with, the Book of the Dead was not actually called the Book of the Dead. That is its modern, popular name, and it works well enough for the purpose. But the ancient Egyptians knew the book by a different name, a name with a very important function. They called the book the Book of Going Forth by Day. The Book of Going Forth by Day, or Ru Nu Peret Em Cheru, was a long set of texts and images designed to help the deceased make his way to the afterlife. The soul of the dead travelled along a dark and complex journey, making his way from the realm of the living to the kingdom of the dead. The land of the dead, the kingdom of Osiris, was a world much like ours, where people lived as they had done in life. But here it was forever. As we will see, this was not going to be an easy journey, and the soul had to overcome many challenges on its road to immortality. The basic purpose of the Book of the Dead, the Book of Going Forth by Day, was to help the soul of the deceased go forth into the land of Osiris. It was a guidebook, a manual, a step-by-step -step instruction to help the deceased, no matter their theological expertise, ascend from the earthly realm to the eternal realm. The afterlife for dummies? Not far off. Anyway, the Book of the Dead was long, very long. Ancient books could include up to 200 distinct spells, hymns, prayers, and plays. There were dialogues to be performed, legendary battles to reenact, and of course, a most terrifying judgment to be endured. It is a glorious book, and I am excited to share it with you. Today, we cover just six parts of the Book of the Dead. Six spells which, together, chart the different sections of the deceased's journey. This is not a complete rendition of the book. That would take hours and hours. Instead, here is an abridged version of some of the most important parts. With that in mind, let's begin. The Book of the Dead began with a prayer, or rather a spell. Spell number one, one of nearly 200 that could be used in the complete work. Like any good book, this started with the introduction. Quote, Here begin the spells of going forth into the day, the praises and recitations for going to and fro in the realm of the dead, and which are to be spoken on the day of burial, and of going in after coming out. End quote. The book opens with an introduction describing the purpose of the work. The deceased hopes to go forth into the day, to live forever, to spend their days in the realm of the dead. To do this, the soul was going to need some help, and this is where spell number one begins. Spell number one stressed the idea of sacred knowledge, what the deceased needed to know to get into the afterlife. Knowledge was going to be the soul's greatest asset, for that, there was really only one being to whom the soul could turn. Spell number one was an invocation of the great god Thoth, the lord of wisdom, the master of scribes, the keeper of all divine knowledge. 
Thoth would be the deceased's guide to the afterlife. He would make records at the important points, and he would assist the soul in their long journey. So, when the soul awoke in the land of the dead, they opened their book of going forth by day, and began by invoking Thoth. Quote, Hail to you, bull of the west, Osiris! So says Thoth, the king of eternity, concerning me. I am the great god Thoth, the protector. I have fought for you, for I am one of those gods of the council that vindicated Osiris against his enemies. I belong to your company, Osiris, for I am one who slew the foes of Osiris and imprisoned those who rebelled against him. End quote. The deceased took on the personality of Thoth, the Lord of Wisdom, so that he could better understand the trials ahead of him. Now there is a whole bunch of complicated theology going on under the hood, but I'll cover that in a future discussion. For now, let us simply say that the deceased, the soul, was preparing himself for the journey ahead. That involved taking on the personality of Thoth, so that he, the soul, could know everything that was necessary. From here, we move to spell number 17. The deceased has now taken on the guise of Thoth and attained his sacred knowledge. Now, the journey itself truly begins. Spell 17 was the first major spell of the Book of the Dead. It was an essential component, because it was a spell which helped identify the deceased with the great creator god himself, Atum. It also introduced the concept of the Field of Reeds the peaceful and happy realm where Osiris's kingdom was located. Finally, it gave a summary of the Book of the Dead as a whole, a sort of Cliff Notes version for the overall document. Spell 17 is long, so I've selected just a few passages. To begin with, the deceased invoked the creator. He invoked Atum. Quote, here begin praises and recitations, going in and out of the realm of the dead, as a living soul by the Osiris, the deceased, after he has died. It is beneficial to him who does it on earth. Now come into being all the words of the Lord of all. I was Atum when I was alone in the infinite waters. I was Ray in his glorious appearings when he began to rule the world that he had made. I am the great God, the self-created. I am he who is not opposed among the gods. Ray, when he arises in the eastern horizon of the sky, to me belongs yesterday, I know tomorrow. End quote. The deceased now claimed the identity of Atum and of Ray. He claimed power over the past and the future, all the knowledge and strength of the creator God. This associated the soul with the most powerful forces in the cosmos, and the Lord who made all creation bow to his will. In other words, the deceased now tried to summon the most powerful of entities, in order to help him cross what was going to be an unforgiving challenge. Quote, the battleground of the gods was made in accordance with my command, in accordance with the command of Osiris, Lord of the Western Desert. I destroy what was done wrongly against me, Osiris. I dispel what was done evilly against me. All of the ill which was upon me has been removed. I go upon the road which I know, in front of the island of the righteous. End quote. The deceased had now become Osiris, and gaining the great lord's power, he began to travel along the roads which crossed an immense desert. 
The western desert, which lay between the earthly realm and the kingdom of Osiris, was filled with serpents, with fire, with chaos, and with danger. In some texts, this was known as the desert of Rosetjau. Quote, What is it? It is Rosetjau. The southern gate is in Naref, the northern gate is in the mound of Osiris. As for the island of the Righteous, that is the city of Abydos. It is the road on which my father Artum went when he proceeded to the Field of Reeds. End quote. The Field of Reeds. This was the true afterlife. It was the realm of Osiris where the dead sought to enter. It was the realm where they hoped to spend eternity. The Field of Reeds was much like our world, peaceful, prosperous, and fertile. But it was eternal. So it was the ultimate desire of any soul to enter into this kingdom. Of course, before they could enter the Field of Reeds, the deceased had to pass a few tests. For this, they would need some more spells. So, from the entrance to the Field of Reeds, we now move to spell number 79. Quote, Spell 79, spell for becoming an elder of the Divine Council. I am Atum, who made the sky and created what exists, who came forth from the earth, who created seed. Lord of all, who fashioned the gods, the great God, the self-created, the Lord of life, who made the divine council to flourish. Hail to you, you gods who are in the west. Hail to you, divine council which is in the sky. See, I have come to you pure, mighty, and besold. I have brought to you a measure of incense and natron salt, so that I may drive away spittle from your mouths that I may remove the evil which lays upon you. I have brought you what is good, I have raised up to you that which is true and just, for I know you, I know your names. Those who are in joy come to me, praise is given to me by those who are in the horizon, in this my rank of the Lord of all. End quote. Spell 79 was a straightforward little spell. It invoked the power and majesty of Atum, the creator, and put the deceased on par with him. This wasn't arrogance. It was a way of seeking the god's help and protection. By putting on the guise of the god, the deceased glorified Atum and sought to overwhelm any danger by terrifying enemies with the face of the creator himself. Most importantly, it was a way to show that the deceased was earnest, pious, and loyal to the great and powerful gods of the Divine Council. After all, it was the Divine Council that would sit in judgment on the deceased. So, if the soul wanted entrance to the afterlife, they needed the blessings of that council. By this point in the journey, the soul had traversed a great desert, wielded the knowledge of Thoth and the power of Atum. Now, the deceased had to prove themselves to the Divine Council. To do this, they had to answer a kind of divine interrogation. The testing of the deceased took place over several different spells. I have chosen one in particular that I like, and you'll see why. It's weirdly funny. This is spell 82, the spell for living in Heliopolis. Quote, I have flown up as a falcon. I have cackled as a goose. I have alighted on yonder road of the mound of the great festival. What I detest, I will not eat. What I detest is feces, and I will not eat it. What I detest is excrement, and it shall not enter my body. The gods and spirits say to me, What will you live on? 
I reply, I will live and have power through bread. They reply, where will you eat it? To which I say, I will have power and I will eat it under the branches of the tree of Hathor, my mistress. She has made offerings of bread, beer, and corn in the sacred city of Eunu Heliopolis. End quote. I love this little dialogue. It's uniquely Egyptian. What could a soul possibly live on? Well, there's bread, obviously. Everyone eats that. But what else? Vegetables? Nah. Meat? Hmm. Oh, fish? Nope. Okay, I give up. Wait, how about feces? Perfect. I appreciate that those were the two extremes of Egyptian dietary thought. On the one hand, there's bread, which is dry and unexciting. But hey, it's better than the alternative. You can almost imagine the scribe who composed this, remembering some awful fight he had with his child that morning, how the child would not eat breakfast, and the only reply which the exasperated parent had was, well, it's bread or feces. The scribe chuckles, and from that a key part of religious theology is born. Joking aside, this spell, number 82, was designed to illustrate the difficulties that might face the deceased as they made their way into the afterlife. If they were not supplied with offerings by their relatives in the land of the living, they would be forced to subsist on excrement. The journey into the afterlife was not easy, and so the living played a part in making that happen. Offerings at temples, shrines, and at the door of the tomb all helped the soul continue on their journey. Fortunately, for those who did not have access to these offerings, there was always Hathor. Hathor, the protective goddess, could aid the less fortunate, giving them part of the offerings that she received in order to aid them on their travels. Bless her heart, Hathor was the best. From spell 82, the deceased was nourished with offerings and given the energy that they needed to cross the great deserts. Soon, the soul approached the field of reeds, the kingdom of Osiris. Now it was time to enter. It was time to be judged. When we return, it's the most important part of the Book of the Dead. The judgment before the Divine Council. The famous weighing of the heart. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Spell number 125. From the deserts of Roset Jao and the wastes of the west, the deceased now came to the edge of the field of reeds. Wielding the knowledge of Thoth, the power of Atum, and the blessings of Hathor, the soul was ready to embark on the most important phase of his journey. It was time for the core component of the Book of the Dead, the arrival at the Hall of Justice, the Hall of Ma'at, and the purging of any untruths. This was the spell of the judgment, spell 125. 
Spell 125 was so important that it was usually placed in the very middle of the papyrus on which a book of the dead was written. It was at the core of the book, figuratively and literally. It was the most protected part, the spell which could not be damaged under any circumstances. This was the spell that the deceased needed most, the spell of the judgment, which would help them cross from the wastes of the west into the field of reeds and the kingdom of Osiris. It was all important, it was all encompassing. It was also incredibly long, not the longest spell in the book, but still more than we could cover in one episode. Once again, I've taken some excerpts so that we can appreciate the spell without getting bogged down in its theology. Let's dig in. Spell 125. What should be said when arriving at this hall of justice, purging the soul of all the evil which he has done in life, and beholding the faces of the gods? Hail to you, great God, Lord of justice. I have come to you, my Lord, that I may see your beauty, for I know you, and I know your name and I know the names of the forty-two gods who are with you in this hall of justice. They are the gods who eat those who cherish evil, who gulp down the blood of the wrongdoer on the day of the reckoning. Behold, I have brought you truth, I have repelled falsehood for you. I have not done falsehood against men, I have not impoverished my comrades. I have done no wrong in the place of truth, I have done no evil. End quote. Spell 125 is what is known as a negative confession. Instead of recounting the good a person has done, they recount the bad things they have not done. These can be big things like murder, fraud, or stealing offerings from the temples. They can also be things that seem small to us. Things like weighing goods incorrectly, building a dam across flowing water, or putting out a fire that is burning. The list of things which the deceased has not done is vast, and half the time it was probably not entirely true. To determine the man's honesty, the gods now performed two major rituals. First, they questioned the deceased, and then, famously, they weighed his heart against the feather of truth. In this way, the soul's negative confession could be tested. If he passed, he was permitted to enter the afterlife. If he failed... We now come to the climax of the Book of the Dead the moment to which everything had been building. The soul comes before the gods of the tribunal, and now the deceased is questioned. Quote, You have come, they say to me. Who are you? What is your name? I am the papyrus reed, I say. The bird which is on the moringa tree. That is my name. What have you passed by? they say to me. I reply, I have passed by the city which is north of the moringa tree. To which god shall I announce you? To him who is now present, tell it to the scribe of the two lands. Who is the scribe of the two lands? He is Thoth. Come, says Thoth. What have you come for? I have come to report. I am pure from evil. I have excluded myself from the quarrels of those who are now living. Thoth asks, To whom should I announce you? You shall announce me to him whose roof is fire, whose walls are cobras, the floor of whose house is the water. Oh, and who is he? He is Osiris. Proceed! Behold, you are announced. Your bread is the sacred eye, your beer is the sacred eye. What goes forth at the voice of you upon earth, that is the sacred eye. The soul has now passed the test. 
He knows the names which he must know, and he has declared himself an innocent and pure soul. The first part of the test is down. Now comes the second. The heart of the deceased is weighed against the feather of truth. If it is lighter, the soul may enter the afterlife. If it is heavier, he will be devoured by a monster. The weighing of the heart is not referenced in the text of the Book of the Dead. It only appears in the pictures which accompany the spells. Perhaps the idea was that images speak louder than words. Or perhaps there simply were no words to be said at this moment. Everything rested on the judgment of the scales. Either way, the heart was placed upon the weight, weighed against the feather of truth. Did he pass? Yes. In our story, he does. The deceased's heart is light, he may enter, and the spell now comes to its grand end. Quote, the correct procedure in this hall of justice. One shall utter this spell, pure and clean, and clad in white garments. There shall be offered to him meat, incense, bread, beer, and herbs. He shall not be turned back from any gateway of the west, but shall be ushered in with the kings of Upper Egypt and the kings of Lower Egypt, and he shall be in the suite of Osiris. This is a matter a million times true. End quote. The soul has succeeded and made his way into the realm of Osiris. His journey is almost complete. But as he enters, there is one last task to do. The deceased now passes by a number of mounds, hills. These are the sacred burial mounds of ancient gods, gods who are both living and dead. Their power is vast, and they can either protect or destroy. As he passes, the deceased pays homage to these mounds and lists the names of the gods. This is spell number 150. Quote, the field of reeds, the god who is here, is Ray, Horus of the two horizons. The mound, called the horns of fire, the god who is in it, is the lifter of braziers. The cavern, the god who is here, is the slayer of fish. Iseset and Hasret, the god who is in it, is he who is on high. Idu, the god in it, is Sothis. The mound of Wenet, the god who is in it, is the destroyer of souls. The horns of water, the god who is in it, is the greatest of the mighty ones. The mound of Ker-Aha, the god who is in it, is the Nile River. The river of flaming fire. Ikesi, the god who is in it, is he who sees and takes. The beautiful west of the gods, who live in it, eating cakes and beer. End quote. With this recitation, naming the burial mounds of great and obscure gods, the soul passes at last into the field of reeds. His journey is done, he has reached the underworld. After this spell, there are many more spells to come, but they are mostly recitations of things that were within the field of reeds, beautiful things which the soul will encounter. Those will have to wait for another episode. For now, we must end the journey of this particular soul. Now, to round out today's episode, let's take a quick look at the origins of the Book of the Dead. The Book of the Dead was a wonderful document, but where did it come from? Well, it was never composed in a single event. No one sat down and wrote the whole thing out in one go. Instead, it was an accumulation of spells and hymns that developed over many generations. Some of the oldest spells in the Book of the Dead were actually being used around the Old Kingdom, about 2500 BCE. Other spells came into use during the Middle Kingdom, 
on the so-called coffin texts about 1900 BCE. Finally, there were the various spells and texts that had slipped into common usage as generations of priests and scribes worked their magic on the funerals of the people. Over time, these spells multiplied, and the Egyptians began to put them down in collections. These collections are what we call the Book of the Dead. Now, I am not finished with the Book of the Dead, not by a long shot. This was an important work, but one that developed over centuries of Egyptian history. So before too long, we will return to the book, and probably a couple more times after that. The Book of the Dead is here to stay. After the 18th dynasty, it became an essential work for the deceased, making their journey into the afterlife. Egyptians used it for generations, from 1500 BCE all the way down to the Greek and Roman era. So, we'll be returning to the book many times over future episodes. We're going to learn a lot more of the story. For now, we must away. That's all we have time for this week. But in the process of researching and writing this episode, I also put together an extended look at the other important funerary text floating around at this time. In the mid-18th dynasty, the Egyptian pharaohs were decorating their tombs with another religious work, a very important one, one that would help them achieve their unique unification with the sun god and enable the cosmos and the underworld itself to continue existing. So, join me soon for episode 82, in which we explore a text called the Amduat. See you soon! The music for this episode was produced by Jeffrey Goodman, who has recently joined the History of Egypt podcast as a contributor. Jeffrey produces some wonderful music, evoking the style and aura of ancient Egypt. His album, Tears of Isis, Musical Reflections on Ancient Egypt, is now available on iTunes, and Jeffrey has generously allowed me to use one of his songs in this episode. The song which you've been hearing throughout this episode is called Tears of Isis, but I now include it here in its entirety. If you like the song, consider following the link in the episode description. That will take you to Jeffrey's website, and you can see the music on offer. Thanks, Jeffrey, for your contribution. To everyone else, relax and immerse yourself in the tears of Isis. <laughs> Oh,
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.